Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Friends, it's 6.04 in the morning, and I can already tell you, um, it is going to be one of those days. Mm-hmm. It is going to be one of those days. Um, okay, so my lead-off commentary has been uh, trashed, and instead I'm leading off with this really devastating breaking news out of Nice, France. At least three people um, were killed in a knife attack in and around a church. Um at least one person inside the church and another person outside the church um, who was hiding from the attacker. This is an incident that authorities are investigating as an act of terrorism. This attack in Nice, uh, France, just comes less than two weeks after the very gruesome public beheading of a middle school history teacher. You will remember that that history teacher had shown students uh, the caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad from the Charlie Hebdo Islamist massacre of journalists from the French news outlet um, just a few years ago. French President Macron condemned that attack and subsequently said, and when I say that attack, I'm talking about the the beheading of the school teacher just a couple of weeks ago. Um, So the French president obviously condemned that attack, subsequently said um, in his effort to propose legislation on Further Islamization in his country. He said Islam is a religion in crisis. That provoked Turkey and other Islamist nations to respond. In turn, Macron withdrew France's uh, ambassador from Turkey. And now there are a number of Muslim nations that are calling for a boycott of French products and other measures. So um, the Turkish president, Erdogan, whom we talk about fairly frequently as a bad actor, publicly called for the boycott of French products. That happened on Tuesday. He is decrying um, rising Islamophobia in Europe. Pakistan's prime minister called uh, for Facebook to place a ban on Islamophobia and any hate speech against Islam, quote, given the rampant abuse and vilification of Muslims on social media platforms. The Qatari state uh, has condemned what they describe as an escalation of, quote, populist rhetoric inciting the abuse of religions. And the Iranian foreign minister, Zarif, whose name you recognize um, from the uh, the efforts to uh, for Iran to come to some kind of agreement with the world in relationship to the development of nuclear weapons. Uh, the Iranian foreign minister, Zarif, said that insulting 1.9 billion Muslims for, quote, the abhorrent crimes of such extremists is an opportunistic abuse of freedom of speech. Okay, it is it is it is the height of irony that the Iranian foreign minister would be condemning anyone for an abuse of the freedom of speech, recognizing the. Um, I, I, I Yeah. I mean, if you want to know what Iran is up to in terms of the abuse of people who speak out against the government in any form or fashion, um, that is not hard to Google. Okay, so 
Uh, demonstrations have been held across France. In the midst of all of that, President Macron has pled for unity. On Sunday, he tweeted, we are united. We will not give in ever. That he tweeted in both English and Arabic, recognizing that he has a huge Arabic-speaking population within um, within France because of immigration. So the French government is uh, seeking to implement strong measures against radical Islamism, and we recognize that that is distinct from um, all Muslims. So I am not, I am not painting all Muslims with this brush. I am, however, recognizing um, that the person with the knife who attacked the people in the church in Nice, France, uh, that attacker was repeatedly yelling "Alu u Alu." Mm-hmm. Allahu Akbar, which is Arabic for Allah is greatest. So I am not seeking to instill fear nor to incite anti-Muslim responses. What I am doing is sharing with you what is happening. And it is imperative that we understand that people of deeply held religious convictions do not feel particularly constrained by the Western worldview. And they are very comfortable Um, using the ideals of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, against secularists who have not thought thought through the implications of liberty that is unmoored from its biblical foundations. So that's what's happening in the world today. It is uh, certainly uh, deserving of our attention. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we will turn to the rioting in the city of brotherly love right here in our own country. Ben Johnson is up next. Joining me now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Welcome back, sir. Good to be with you. Yeah. <clears throat> it's quite a day, isn't it? Already. It's quite a day. Already a very somber morning, yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Okay, so looting in Philadelphia. uh, If there are people listening who have maybe not been tuned into the news for the last few days because, you know, frankly, it's just all politics, um, they may have missed that we are now in the third, well, we are the morning following the third night of really widespread rioting and looting. There's a citywide curfew. In Philadelphia, the police uh, discovered a van loaded with explosives last night. The police have also been told by their leadership to disperse but not arrest looters and rioters. Um, what do you want to say in regards to what's going on in the city of brotherly love? Well, as you said, this is uh, the third day of rioting in a row uh, after police shot in, shot and killed a 27-year-old man who charged at them with a knife, a man named Walter Wallace Jr., who was mentally disturbed Uh, has a long history of interaction with the police and was under orders at various times to take lithium to undergo a mental health battery uh, and to maintain his medication, which apparently he did not do. His family, the day that he was shot, had called 911 three times. It was the third 911 call uh, where he charged at the officers with a knife. His own mother pleaded with him to drop the knife, but he refused One of the things that comes out of this is the dangers of excusing previous violence because it creates more violence. 
Uh, as you had mentioned, there's been violence for three nights in a row. 30 officers were injured the first night. It's at least 50 the second night. I don't know how many injuries have been injured in total uh, throughout this entire process. But previous riots have been excused. As you mentioned, the police have been ordered either to disperse or to stand down in previous riots uh, simply to, to disperse and yield things, including the police station, to rioters. And when you do that, you create an incentive for people to continue that cycle of violence. So violence begets violence, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. This is a good example of that. Uh, I think that that's one, one issue here. Also shows the perils of defunding the police. The police commissioner is named Danielle Outlaw, great name for police commissioner. Danielle Outlaw says that she'd asked for enough funding to give every officer non-lethal weapons like tasers. She wants to have a mental health squad that's specifically deployed to cases like this because Pennsylvania has a very strict requirement. You have to be a clear and present danger and be proved so in a court of law before you are involuntarily incarcerated. And apparently he had not yet crossed the very high threshold that's required for this, despite uh, you know being being required to maintain a mental health battery and uh, being um, under probation for seven years. So she said, we need a mental health unit that specifically de-escalates situations like this and knows how to deal with them, but she's lacked the funding, even though she's asked for it. And then one other thing I would point to, and it ties in very much with what you were talking about this morning. There is an anti-Christian element in these protests that has gone unrecognized. One of the things that happened on Monday night was that rioters burned down a Vietnamese Baptist church. It was very clear what the church building was and who it served. And uh, according to uh, police and the, the uh, pastor, Pastor Philip Pham, of the Vietnamese Baptist church, they climbed on top of the roof, poured accelerant on it, and deliberately targeted this center in this heart of the Vietnamese community, which serves its Christian community. Uh, I think, again, that there's this anti-Christian element that the church is blamed somehow when the church, in fact, has been the greatest force of racial unity and reconciliation in world history. Yeah, I you know. I'll just pull this thread, Ben. Um, there may be, there may also be an anti-immigrant um, storyline there. It, it's not lost on me that there are lots of black Baptist churches in the neighborhood, and the one they burned down is the Vietnamese Baptist church. That's perceptive, and I hadn't considered that, but uh, there are certainly tensions within uh, within immigrant groups uh, and and U.S. Uh, populations. You know, quite often uh, people will, will sort of uh, act as though minorities are all one group and they all have identical interests, when in fact minority groups are, are often competing with one another. Uh, and uh, they, they actually, uh, if they were to speak, I think they would find they have a lot more in common with one another than anything else. But they end up uh, quite often competing or seeing one another as, uh, as competitors and, uh, and harm, harmful uh, influences in the community, when in fact everyone's just striving to do their very best to provide for themselves. All right, Ben Johnson and I are going to take a very brief break. Um, When we come back, uh, I am going to lift up a storyline out of the Washington Post about the rise of, quote, patriot churches in America. And um, alongside that, we're going to talk about something going on in Russia. There's an Orthodox Cathedral of the Armed Forces. Yeah, and I want to ask Ben about that. So there you go. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, you can find him at acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. He also tweets at The Rights Writer. 
Um, all right, Ben, uh, I got to tell you, I was intrigued to read about the rise of so-called patriot churches. Uh, the headline in the Washington Post, Seeking Power in Jesus' Name, Trump Sparks a Rise in Patriot Churches. And and so the um, uh, the storyline here is actually out of Knoxville, Tennessee, and the congregation that's highlighted is in Lenore City, Tennessee, um, and their building ha- has a 60-foot American flag painted on the roof, um, and they spend their time, you know, praying for expressly partisan concerns. So I leave that right there, um, and I turn to from there to a story out of Russia, because you and I both saw this story last week, and we didn't get to talk about it. So apparently there is a Russian Orthodox Cathedral of the Armed Forces. First of all, tell us about it and then help us understand the difference, uh, the the uniqueness of how we approach religion in America. Yeah, the uh, Cathedral of the Armed Forces, as you mentioned, is built by the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, and it's specifically built in order to honor all the people who fought in uh, the wars of Russia for its entire history. Russia is an officially Orthodox Church. The overwhelming number of people who identify with the religion identify with the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, and there's very little in terms of separation of church and state that never really has been, which we'll get to in a moment. But uh, this cathedral is to honor the soldiers. The problem being, uh, first of all, it's it's highly militaristic by its very nature. Uh, there are trophies, there are weapons and tanks that were seized from the Wehrmacht during World War II. Uh, there had been uh, originally uh, a mosaic of Vladimir Putin, uh, but uh, that ended up being taken down. Uh, and and uh, the metal in the floors is has been melted down from from tanks that were uh, Nazi tanks that had attacked uh, the, the USSR. So there's part of that, but there's also a plaque in the back that honors people who commemorate it commemorates people who were in specific wars and conflicts since World War II. And of course, most of the history since World War II was the history of the Soviet Union. So it includes Budapest in 1956 in the Prague Spring in 1968. For listeners who, who don't remember that because it's not taught in schools, there were uprisings in the captive nations, as we called them at that time, of Hungary and uh, Czechoslovakia, when it was still a country, of people trying to overthrow the communist government, or in, in the case of uh, Czechoslovakia, the uh, leader, the uh, government of Alexander Dubček, had relaxed issues quite a bit and granted just a little bit greater measure of freedom to the people there. The Soviets, in each case, sent in military. 2,500 civilians were killed in Budapest in 1956. The Prague Spring was crushed. Uh, 72 protesters were killed in Wenceslas Square. Any cathedral that is honoring the murderers of this is not, uh, of those people, is not honoring God. I will say this as someone who is Orthodox an Orthodox Christian myself, that God was not with the Soviets who were doing that. God did not inspire the Soviets who did that. God inspired the rioters, uh, so-called, in that time, the people protesting for their freedom, trying to recognize their God-given rights, including their right to worship God. One of the highlights that I ever had, I got to speak to someone who lost his family, who were crushed by tanks in Budapest in 1956. He talked about hearing his family screaming, urging him to leave them behind so he could find freedom and flee. He eventually managed to get out of Hungary, 
But uh, his own family, as they were being killed, urged him to get away because his freedom was more important than their own lives. And to honor the murderers of those people is a violation of freedom. But that's that's something that uh, has been true of Russian history for a long time. Sometimes we have the word of the day here. I'll, I'll give you the word of the day. In 1721, Peter the Great put the entire Orthodox Church under the authority of a government figure named the Oberprocurator of the Church. Rolls trippingly from the tongue. <laughs> Oberprocurator uh, of the Church. And that, that held until 1917. They have never grappled with that history. They have never completely separated church and state. And believe me, the church and the state has the church has been aggressed by the state most of that history. And so when we talk about the separation of church and state here in the United States of America, and we talk about the freedom of religion, um, and we talk about um, the, the freedom to not only worship, but to live as a person of convictional faith in every aspect and area of life, um, our experience here in the United States of America is, is very unique, uh, and it's different than Europe, European nations that have state churches. It's certainly different than countries like Russia— Uh, and their particular relationship to the church. Um, So can you just highlight for us again this morning, what is so unique about the American experience in terms of the freedom of religion and its express protections um, in, you know, in, in the first amendment? Yes. uh, We've had a, a very Christian history and there's no question about that. In fact, in 1892, the Supreme court ruled, and I quote, this is a Christian nation. However, it was not won by official doctrine. It was not won by legal decree. Everyone has the right uh, to worship the God uh, of their choice or to uh, to not worship and refrain from having a religious belief. It's entirely up to you based on your freedom of conscience. The vast majority of Americans through all time, including today, regardless of what the rest of the media may tell you, are believers in Jesus Christ. And because of that, our nation has been unique in that we've given people the freedom uh, to to come to faith on their own as Jesus Christ intended. A forced faith is no faith. And what you find in nations that have an official religion is either a false display of faith, where uh, people will join the state church in order to move up in society, or to look good in the eyes of people who can give them raises and bonuses and promotions, or uh, you have displays, very gaudy public displays like this cathedral, that blur the lines of church and state so that the state itself sort of becomes divinized in its own way. Here in the United States, uh, there's there's a danger of us sometimes uh, giving too great uh, a, a, a devotion to the Constitution, perhaps, uh, or other, other items as though they were on par with the Bible. I love those things. I believe in patriotism, and I love the Constitution more than probably anyone. But the Bible is the foundation of all Western civilization, and without that, we are going to lose the freedoms that are promised to us in the Constitution. So the Constitution gives us that freedom of conscience, which Jesus Christ demanded. He said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. He didn't say, go out and force people to say that they worship in me or threaten to behead them. We have that freedom of conscience, and that's pivotal in our country has been unique uh, among the nations of the world in respecting that freedom. Uh, yeah, Ben, I I got to tell you, I have um, I have a rising concern um, about people's understanding in this country of the freedom of religion and the confusion related to the separation of church and state and who is, uh, you know, why that safeguard is there 
in terms of protecting the church uh, against the intrusion of the state, not the other way around. Um, hey, we we um, you know, it's not surprising that we've run out of time, but we have like one minute. And there was this cult leader who was sentenced to 120 years for just really horrific uh, treatment of people. Can you touch on the concept of religious freedom and the problem of cults? Yeah, he was the head of a, a cult, as you said, 120 years in prison for human trafficking, sex trafficking, and forced labor and racketeering. Uh, and and cults often seek out people who are in crisis. They they isolate them. They love bomb them. They get them to have a complete faith in the leader, and they separate them from anyone who will take them away. Sometimes they give them a new name and an identity. True religion, according to the Bible, is to have uh, great the greatest love, which is to lay down your life for others. And the Apostle Paul told Christians to view all other people as better than themselves. True religion calls for self-sacrifice. Cults enrich themselves and indulge their base pleasures by making other people sacrifice for the leader. That's the difference. In this country, we have uh, that freedom to choose however we worship, but those who fall into it must be very careful, and those who love them have to be uh, particularly on their guard, especially Christians, to pray for, to check in, and if necessary, to legally intervene to keep to get people out of these kinds of exploitative relationships and into a religion that teaches the love, the value, the dignity of all human beings. We need to be loving our neighbors and caring for them in legitimate ways. Um, and so, yeah, thank you. There are protections, but uh, we have to be vigilant in terms of um, safeguarding safeguarding people. All right, um, Ben, that's all we got time for. Thanks, man, so much. Really appreciate it. Thank that's you. Ben Johnson. God bless. You can find him at the Acton Institute, acton.org, or on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. Wow, we certainly are people in need of prayer, um, individually, corporately, nationally. And so joining me next, Kathy Branzell. You recognize her name. She works with the task force for the National Day of Prayer. She's joining us to talk about the 2020 election and prayer. And then we're also going to spend some time uh, talking about how we can be praying for our pastors at the close of this Pastor Appreciation Month and recognizing that in the midst of COVID and all the challenges that, uh, that churches are facing, pastors and their families are facing great challenges as well. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sometimes it feels like nothing you do gets through to your kid. Ever hit a wall like that? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A girl came to live at our residential counseling center in Texas, and she was as bad as it gets. Seemed like nothing I did got through to this rebellious kid. But during one of our intense conversations, I asked her, what do you want from me? She responded, love me when I least deserve it, because that's when I need it the most. Her answer stopped me dead in my tracks. As I hugged her, I kept thinking, what she needs is grace. So mom, dad, when your son or daughter drives you crazy, remember to love them when they least deserve it, because that's when they need it the most. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Renzel serves with the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and she is my friend. Kathy, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So here's my uh, here's my list. Uh, 1.9 million customers without power. 
following Hurricane Zeta's landfall. Um, two are dead after the storm passed through. Many people across the country still dealing with the aftermath, including both of us. Um, yes. Fires raging in California, 90,000 people evacuated uh, most recently. Um, but just devastation across the state of California and uh, and states north of there. Riots mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. There have been riots in other places across the country, um, certainly as well. People dealing with the despair related to that. Death comes. Death does uh, not seem to be deterred at all um, in in these days. People are hungry. Lines at food banks are um, miles long. One food bank in Houston um, uh, giving out more than a million pounds of food a day. People are hurting. Um, we've got refugees and asylum seekers who have no hope of entering the country because the number, you know, our, our entry number has been uh, so deeply uh, depressed. And, oh, in the midst of all of this, there is a pandemic and um, we are in the midst of an election. How now shall we pray? Oh, wow. It just uh, for me, it's been one glory opportunity after another, you know, mm. just uh, to remember that I'm not God. Mm-hmm. And so my prayers move the hands that move the universe and move the hearts and hands of those who follow him and to really just keep my eyes on Jesus. And and I don't want that to sound cliche to anyone, but getting angry isn't going to fix anything. Uh, getting argumentative isn't going to fix anything, but living out, we've talked about this, I bet a hundred times, a prayer, care, share lifestyle. We say it that way so you can remember it. Pray about everything. Um, uh, Philippians 4, 5, and 6, you know, starts out by saying, let your gentleness be known. And so it's not just that God's word tells us what to do and what to say, but he tells us how to say it and how to do it with gentleness, with peace, with respect, with honor. That's the life we live, a fruitful life. And then we help where we can and we pray where we can't. Hmm. Help, help where we can, pray where we can't. Um, you always, well, this is one of your unique gifts and attributes. You, you bring us back to the primary things. Yeah. Um, I think we are so easily distracted and um, and then anxiety ridden by the secondary and tertiary things. And one of the, I, I think, imperatives for Christians is that we return over and over and over again, and we help one another return over right. and over and over again to the primary things. Right. We we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, the enemy loves, you know, if he can't still kill and destroy because we've been sealed unto the day uh, in Christ. If he can't steal our soul and kill us or destroy us, he loves to distract, to discourage. He loves when we, instead of entering the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise, he loves when we grumble and complain and argue and say things we regret. And tear at one another. Yes, tear each other apart. Ugh. And this is, it, it, people keep saying, what is God doing? What is God doing? And I, I still believe that he wants all of our attention, all of our affection. If we say we're going to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's all of our emotions, all of who we are, our reputation, our existence, all of our thoughts, 
and all of our actions. That's your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, I, I just can't help but wonder if we are still a very within ourselves divided. We keep talking about what a divided nation we are. We're divided politically. We're divided denominationally. We're divided, divided, divided. And, and I just wonder within ourselves how divided we are right now. And we need unity and peace. We need peace with God. So unity within ourselves first. And then let that overflow of our heart speak so that we are keeping Jesus central in our hearts and our lives. Keeping Jesus central, um, having a mind that is set on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the father. Um, Mm -hmm. The mind, the mindset, I think, is a huge part of this. Uh, And I want to um, one of the things I wrote down while you were talking, when you talk about, you know, division, we have we have outward division because we have inward division. Right. And so, I mean, one of the ways that I've expressed it in the past, Kathy, is to talk about the difference between a person of faith who is integrated. Um, And there I would point to, you know, your heart and your mind and your words and your actions, your deeds, your affections, your imagination, your desires. They are all, uh, you know, they are all integrated um, in a way that honors God, that glorifies God and honors Jesus and walks your faith out in in a way that people would recognize as godly and good um, versus a person who is disintegrated, where faith is, um, you know, like one thing, one charm on their bracelet, right? But they got a lot of other things. They got a lot of other parts and pieces of their life. Talk talk a little bit about that, the difference between a life that is really integrated um, in Christ and for Christ versus a life where, you know, Christ is like an accessory, yeah, that's a good way to put it. When you said it, I thought uh, when Christ is, uh, when we're decorated, you know, so we've got the necklace or the bracelet, we've got the the cute little wood block in our house, we've got a picture, you know, those kind of things. If If Jesus is only decorating your house and isn't running your house, then that's problem number one, where um, your kids... Your spouse, yourself might look around and see a whole lot of Jesus on the walls, but not in the walk. And and so with that, you're um, it's almost an emotional and mental health, you know, crisis in that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you say you say you believe one thing, but you're you're living another. Um, It's the split personality, you know, kind of thing, sadly. Uh, because psychology 101 says that you behave as you believe. And so we can say that we believe, but if we are freaked out right now, if uh, if we believe that heaven is in chaos and God's scratching his head, then we don't know what we believe. And, you know, a very, very wise friend of mine, um, I, I went to one of uh, her speeches that has really stuck in my heart and has been a go-to anchor for me. Um, her name was Carmen. And she was saying uh, that if you're saying, how in the world, how in the world is God going to dot, dot, dot? This was a couple of three years ago when um, I yeah, heard you say I this, Carmen. I have no idea what how you're talking about. <laughs> and you said, you said, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We pray it all the time as if it's some tagline, but it's truth that we can anchor our lives to. And if you think, how in the world um, 
are we going to get through this year? How in the world are we going to get through this winter? How in the world are my kids going to get through this grade? How in the world? Well, if we get on our knees and we pray and we fast and we pray, if we're truly crying out to him, uh, like it says in Psalm 40, I've been living in Psalm 40 and you stop me if we don't have enough time, but I just want to read this, this first verse. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. (laughs) He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. I love that slimy pit. Some of us are living in that slimy pit out of the mud and mire. And he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. So that scripture right there describes me as I'm, I'm waiting patiently and, and I have to stop and examine my life and say, have I really been waiting patiently for the Lord as he accomplishes his will be done um, in everything going on right now? And he heard my cry. Am I really crying? Am I really spending focused time in prayer? Or, um, you know, is it something I just, uh, you know, rattle out in a few seconds and I'm done before a meal? Or as I fall asleep at night, you know, I just lift up a Lord help me. Mm-hmm. And in those things, we have to remember waiting patiently and praying passionately that he will pull us out of this slimy pit. <laughs> As some people have called 2020, I just see it as an opportunity for a whole lot of glory. And he will bring us back to a firm place to stand. And quite frankly, if you're doing that right now, if you're in Jesus, you already have a firm place to stand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so you have to remember you're in a good place because you're in him. He's got you in the cleft of the rock. He's got you in his arms and we can't panic. We need to cease from anger, forsake wrath and don't fret. Psalm 37, eight says, because it only leads to evil doing. And I don't want to contribute to the evil or the hurt or the pain of 2020. Kathy Branzell and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to uh, offer you some resources. They are available at nationaldayofprayer.org, praying during a divisive election, and also um, some ways that you can encourage and honor your pastor here at the close of Pastor Appreciation Month. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer You can find the resources we are about to talk about at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, let's just just visit the resource about praying during a divisive election, and then I want to talk about honoring our pastors. Absolutely. Yeah, our our chairman of our board of directors, Dave Butts, uh, put together an incredible um, little book. It's a short read, but we... Uh, we have, again, we have to stay Jesus-centered. Uh, that's pretty much your answer. If you start to drift, if you start to get pulled away um, by the hurricane of life, then uh, go back to Jesus, and and then you'll figure everything else out. He will take you there. And um, it has really been kind of astonishing every election year, not just this one, how much money is spent um, and how many hours and how many ads um, 
getting us to vote one way or another for one person or another to be a this or a that. And I just think every time, can you imagine if that money and that time and those ads were just spent on telling people about the love and message of Jesus Christ? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Stunning, right? And so um, I, I would just encourage you go back to your Bible, get back in scripture, um, get back in prayer, pray for this election and um, get a good resource, the, the Vote Your Values, the Decision Magazine, the, um, the, the book about praying during a, de- a divisive election, and in that become decisive. And, and, um, and then pray for others. The only, only person that you can control in this world is you. And you make your decisions. Don't, whatever you do, please, 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 please go vote because you have that right and you have that responsibility. Do not step into a tomorrow that someone else decided for you. You've got to let your voice be known. And so um, keep praying. There'll be a, a, another um, article coming out uh, today from the National Day of Prayer. If you do not get our Thursday evening articles, you can sign up at nationaldayofprayer.org and get prayer prompts and encouragement every single week in your email box. All right, let's take a couple of minutes to talk about our pastors. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, There are lots of ways for you to show your appreciation to your pastor. We've got one um, that you can still use at myfaithradio.com. Talk about um, what's going on with pastors and what a year it's been for them. Oh, I can't imagine being a pastor, much less one this year. Um, It's enough. I'm sure you guys get a lot of email as well. Um, People just need a place to spout off. People need a place to dump their hurt and and unload. Uh, But how much more so has this happened with our pastors? And I just want everyone to know your pastor loves you. Your pastor has been called uh, by God to come and be a shepherd and to share the word of Jesus with you, to encourage you, to help guide you. Think of him as a teacher and we go to we go to school on Sunday and then go live it out the rest of the week. Um, and they have agonized, agonized through this pandemic, when to close, when to open, how to keep ministry going, how all the missions work that you do, all the missionaries you support, all the staff that needs to be paid, all of the uh, the, the programs, how could they be creative and virtual? Um, they have agonized in prayer and um, creativity over this. And we need to love and support them instead of letting them know all they've done wrong, let them know what they've done right. Uh, every human being needs affirmation, appreciation, um, and affection. And we can show those things to our pastors in very tangible ways. We want to make sure we're saying it, post it on the My Faith Radio um, uh, page that you have going. I love that. People need to hear, thank you. You're loved. Thank you. You're making a difference. Um, but also in other ways, you know, gift cards or take over some cake or a pie or uh, go take them out to dinner. Whatever it is that you can do to love on them and to love their family because they have been essential workers our entire lives, but especially through 2020. 
Kathy, there are, um, you know, there are people listening right now who um, who are going to get some kind of devastating news today about somebody that they love. Um, yes. And, you know, I just I just am acknowledging that we just live we're living in a very um, fragile time. And I yep. want I, I want to return to where, you know, where you started, which is this let your gentleness be known. Um, mm. So thank you for being a person who leads with um, gentleness and peace and respect and honor. And thank you for the way that you um, equip the rest of us to go and do likewise. It's a it's a it's a privilege to know you um, and it's a privilege to pray with you. So thank you so very much for joining us today uh, and mm-hmm. for what you do every day at the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Thank you, my friend. I love you. Oh, it's mutual. It's mutual. Have a blessed day. Friends, we'll be right back. Your plans still prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fight and the flood. All right. um, I want to speak to a question that's being asked by a listener on the line um, right now. Um, Katie wants to know, you know, how how can I vote? Like, I feel I hear you. Um, I hear you guys saying that I need to vote. But how can I vote when I can't bring myself to vote for either candidate? And so I just want to recognize and acknowledge that angst. Um, I want to recognize and acknowledge um, the challenge that Christians face uh, in the context of this election. But in reality, we face this challenge in the context of every election. Jesus is um, not running for president. Um, and so you have to you have to be mindful of that. We are always voting for someone um, who is a flawed, broken human being. Um, but in electing a president, we are also putting a particular party into power. And so that might be part of the calculus um, that you make. I know it's challenging. I want you to know you're not alone. Um, I prayed and then I voted. Um, and so um, let's just be mindful that we are responsible to um, utilize the freedoms that we enjoy, lest those freedoms um, be lost. And so I'm going to encourage people to exercise um, the vote. Uh, we the people can't complain if we the people don't participate in the process. And so, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but let me just encourage you to pray and then vote. All right, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Peter Kapsner is my leadoff, and then I've got Adam Weber. We're going to actually just spend some time appreciating a pastor at the end of this Pastor Appreciation Month. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.